Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. In episode 196, a couple of weeks ago, photographer Andreas Weinand joined us to explain what photography means to him in under five minutes. I hope you enjoyed his contribution and also checked out his work. Well, shortly afterwards, uh, Andreas sent me an email. He'd listened to the episode and uh, he wanted to give me a little bit of feedback. And for me, it was really rewarding to hear what he had to say, but it was also really interesting. And so I thought I'd share it with you. And this is the exact wording of the email that he sent to me. I'd like to thank you very much for your friendly words introducing into my photography and, of course, for inviting me to your podcast. It was a great pleasure for me listening to it this morning. Yes, Susan Sontag. I very well remember reading all the theoretical framework concerning photography during my study years. Especially John Berger I liked very much. I would not like to miss these inspirations, but reading a text and comprehending its message is sometimes tricky. One needs to hold oneself at a distance. It is comparable to the viewing of photographs. Sometimes one feels tempted to keep it, I should say, as the truth, taking no account of the fact that the message a text or an image shows. Just one individual point of view as we get to know the more experiences we make in life. But reading, thinking, discussing, arguing, bringing reflections into words is elemental in my opinion. Being able to express one's impressions, either with images or words. I prefer the synergy of both and cross-disciplinary with all sciences. When I look back to my student years, all the engaged discussions amongst friends and colleagues were so encouraging. I consider the capacity to argue with one's own words to understand the circumstances and specify them as essential. This understanding I have acquired while experiencing my personal approach to reality with the help of photography. The necessity to make out my own mind about what kind of theme I am looking for, or better said, which topic draws my attention, and how I may put my work in relation to questions that keep us busy as social beings. This epilogue is inspired by your introduction to Susan Sontag this morning. Well, thanks very much, Andreas, for that feedback and that response. It is exactly the kind of response I hope that the things we talk about on the podcast will create. But it was also interesting for me how clearly he was defining his approach to photography and how it fits in with mine. I'm not saying that any of us are right, but it does seem to be that quite a few of us agree. It's been a pretty turbulent week online with all the shenanigans going on around the British Journal of Photography sales, shares and everything else. So it's always nice to see a good story, a positive story, an uplifting story. And as always, good friend of the podcast and great photographer, Jim Mortram, somebody who I've been aware of and known for nearly, I suppose, maybe... 
10, 11 years, something like that now. Anyway, he's incredibly passionate about what he does. He always is trying to do good and find good uh, in photography and for people. Well, what's Jim been up to? Well, he's come up with this idea called Photo Print Day. And the idea of it, basically, very simply, is to raise money through photography for charities, for lots of different charities. So I thought this was a great idea, a great um, initiative and something I wanted to support and I would talk about and mention on the podcast. And then I thought, well, what's the point of me doing it? What I should do is speak to Jim. So that's what I did. Okay, Jim, so thanks for joining us this week on A Photographic Life. Tell us all about Photo Print Day. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, it's a really, really simple, fun, collective uh, community idea. Essentially, right, I can can give you all the instructions, all the rules in 60 seconds. August the 1st of every year, any photographer that wants to participate shares the prints. Uh, It can be more than one that they would like to uh, put up for purchase or a donation um, by a buyer. The photographers in this instance are the makers and the buyers are donators. September the 1st is photo print day. Um, You post a social media post, including the hashtag photo print day, include at photo print day for Twitter and Instagram, keeping it very simple. Uh, It's a first come first serve basis. So let's say you've got one print and this is important. The print can be anything from a five by four photocopy all the way up to a 10,000 pound archive print, whatever you want to put up, you can put up. I mean, a photocopy is a print after all donator comes to you, says, I like this. I want it. You, the maker, you say, brilliant. I need you to donate to a charity uh, to the value of 10 pounds or $10. And then I will mail you the print. I would suggest that uh, the photographer, and the uh, or the maker and the uh, donator have a little conversation about which charity is mutually uh, acceptable for each other. There's no single charity in this. It can it can go anywhere. Of course, I would say that the photographer has right of veto. Let's say for argument's sake that the uh, donator wants to donate it to the KKK or something ridiculous like that. So really, it's all about using your own brain. Ultimately. This is a uh, a collective, a community giving back to the world in which they really ply their trade and or exist. I think without the world around us, there wouldn't be much for photographers uh, to do, certainly not to photograph. So this is a day of celebration, but the essential part of all of it is that there's no, uh, there's no central power base to this. There's no one person running it. It's just a simple idea that belongs to every photographer on the planet. You could have a camera phone or you could have a Hasselblad. There's no kind of exclusion. It's all about inclusion. The price is low, so people that couldn't normally afford a print, for example, could afford it. And the prints can be anything from a photocopy because, you know, if you don't have access to a, to a printer or a darkroom, for example, you can still participate. It's about everybody and anybody that can make uh, a photographic print uh, coming together in one day to give back to their community around them. Uh, and I presume that once you've made that donation, the idea is that the person who's made the donation then sends you an email or a DM of a little screen grab proving that that donation has been made. 
You are 100% correct. So when the when the exchange is done, when the t- donation is agreed upon, um, or, or, or rather where it's going is agreed upon, donators send you a screen grab proving that they have donated. And you say, excellent. Uh, would you like to pay the postage or would you like me to pay the postage? You can work that out together. You work it out together because everybody's their own boss in this. They're not, um, they're not uh, under the watchful eye of some uh, patriarchy. If you, if you get involved, you're involved because you're a photographer and you're responsible to follow very simple rules and join in. Really, I like the idea of a million people doing this in a decade and photography and photographers make, say, 10 million pounds in a day, $10 million. And that all goes to charities. It's September the 1st, because that's quite close to winter when a lot of charities really require uh, some finances, as, you know, certainly places like Shelter or the Trussell Trust or Minds Charity. You know, there's there's so many charities out there or community organizations as well. It can absolutely be uh, for like a local community center that needs help. It's really about how can photographers help collectively. Well, listen, Jim, I saw this the other day. You and I have known each other for a long time. And I thought, okay, I've got to promote this. And I thought, what's the point in me promoting this when I can get Jim to promote it? So we will continue to promote this on the podcast (laughs) regularly. And uh, obviously you should be following Jim on Twitter, on social media as well. That's Jim Mortram. All the details will be on the page on the UNP website where this uh, podcast episode is posted. Um, Good luck with it, Jim. And thanks very much for joining us thank you jim mortram there as passionate as ever as uh, he explained to me after we'd finished recording it uh, it's over to you jim sees this as uh, he's certainly no kind of control freak and he sees it as a kind of a punk grassroots kind of a thing it's certainly not about the big man it's certainly about the small man so thanks very much jim for uh, lending your passion this week i should say that um, he did promise that he'd uh, get through that in 60 seconds as always with jim his passion meant he went much longer but i don't mind that Jim Mortram is a photographer who works on the long-form body of work, and this week's contributor to what does photography mean to him is similarly committed to the long form. Born in Dublin in 1939, Alan McWeenie became a press photographer for a local newspaper in 1952. One of his earliest bodies of work was of the semi-nomadic Irish travellers, images that were also turned into a movie which was broadcast on RTE and BBC4 and included in Itinerances, 28th Festival of Cinema de Al, which McQueenie co-directed that film, I should say. Anyway, he left Ireland and moved to New York in 1961 to assist the great Richard Avedon. But McQueenie's work was getting noticed and resulted in him being shown in the Museum of Modern Art. After working on glamorous shoots for influential titles such as Vogue and Harper's Bazaar in Paris and in New York City, McQueenie had become disenchanted with the highly stylized nature and limitations as he saw them of studio photography. He was becoming more interested and influenced by the work of documentary photographers such as Robert Frank, and he returned to Ireland just a year later in late 1962. 
He then began an extensive career in commercial and editorial photography. His personal work from the mid-1960s captures the misty streets and cosy pubs of Dublin with a Joycean affection. There are also sprawling country landscape views with flocks of sheep and ancient cairns. McGuinney's best-known work from this period is his series and book, Travellers, Tinkers, No More. At a time when this centuries-old itinerant culture shifted from horse-drawn conveyance to motor-hauled caravans, he explored their makeshift camps with his camera and tape recorder. His work is included in the collections of the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, the Museum of Modern Art uh, New York and the Art Institute of Chicago. McQueen's photographs have appeared internationally in magazines and books, among them The New Yorker, The New York Times Magazine, Esquire GQ, Life, The World of Interiors, American Photographer and Aperture, amongst many others. His work has also been published in books including Irish Walls and Ireland Stone Walls and Fabled Landscapes, Bloomsbury Reflections, Charleston of Bloomsbury, House and Garden, The Home of the Surrealists, Spaces for Silence, Irish Travellers Tinkers No More, as I said, Once Upon a Time in Tala 8, and Under the Influence. McQueen's archive resides at Cork University and he lives in New York and Sag Harbour with annual travels back to Ireland. Uh, first of all, the question being asked, what, do, uh, what does photography mean to me, is quite difficult to answer because I have no idea what it means to me. I started out taking photographs when I was at school with a flash powder and taking a photograph of the headmaster coming in the door one morning. That was just because a friend of mine also was, wanted to be a photographer. And so we kind of experimented. It was an experiment, and we learned our way into imagery. But we didn't know what imagery was or how to present it or how to create it. But since I've been doing it, since I've been 13, it's hard to say what does it mean to you? It is my life, and I have had nothing else except that. I became more interested in art and in painting and in sculpture and expression. And so I learned from looking at art and looking at other photographs and connecting the two, also with my own life evolving. And so I began in a haphazard way and worked my way back into a more formal. And so I went to the United States and worked for a photographer. And then came back to Ireland feeling uh, I have now the fuel to be a photographer. Uh, but I only had be- begun. And the only reason I had begun was because I had really, while I was there, photographing Amish Mennonite uh, youths in Pennsylvania and then some nudes in New York were the actual beginning of my photography, and I was at that time 22. So now I've been an active photographer since 13. Now at 22, I was actually beginning. But I also didn't necessarily like to share the photographs. I felt that if I showed the photographs, they would dissipate, they would, I would lose them. So I actually kept possession of them and I would be careful about who I'd show them to. Not because I was afraid of criticism or resentment or dislike, but because I knew they had a certain intrinsic 
core meaning to me personally. And if they had none to somebody else, I could accept it. But I knew they were, they had something that was essential. And that really was the beginning of my life as a photographer. You're looking for some meaning out of ordinary matter. And all you know is that whether you're Picasso or Shakespeare, they all had the same 12 hours in a day or 24 hours in a day to do it. And if they discovered in their world, just as Giacometti did a certain kind of sculpture, you knew it was him as sculpture. And his sculpture, no matter, even though it may be repeating itself, repeating itself, they're not actually repetitions, they're different. But they become the character of that man in a fuller way. And that's what, as far as I know, in taking photographs, you kind of assemble a certain life of, in photography that represents some meaning for you first, and then hopefully it may have some meaning for others. But in fact, if you actually are in love with the subject of your photographs, is that's as far as you can take it, because the actual core of this love is what makes the picture have some grip on your on yourself and and may and it's it's visible to others also and then when it's visible to others then we suddenly are surprised that other people find that interesting but they also the photograph has to last the first picture i ever took that really had meaning were the nudes that i took by a window in a very simple uh, way of a, a young woman without clothes. is why they weren't really news as much as a woman without clothes. They weren't about sex. They were just about this person. And in some pictures, there she was in a bathtub. In others, she was leaning on a radiator. In some, all I did was ever was no, there was no makeup. There was no facade. There was no... Uh, contrasty lighting or unusual lighting. There was just soft window light. And the reason the photographs are successful is because they are, what I would say, are deceptively simple. They look just like pictures anyone could take. But on the other hand, they look somehow different. And that quality was what I found interesting. And when that happens, then you know you've done something that's a little better than, than nothing. Thank you, Alan, for your contribution this week. I think it definitely could be said from looking at your work that you've done a lot more than nothing. Um, very interesting, I think, hearing Alan's perspective there. I could almost hear him trying to work out the answer to the question himself as he was actually speaking. So a real insight, I think, into his creative practice. Two really passionate photographers this week with Alan and Jim and a little bit of information too. Just leaves me to say, as I do every week, take care. Take care.